Welcome to one of our pastors. My name's Josh, another one of our pastors. I'm the lead pastor here at, at Bethel. And so for all of our Covenant members, welcome. Um, for those who are watching online, maybe in your pajamas, welcome to you guys uh, and to our new guests. I've met some, some new guests here today. Uh, welcome. We're so glad that you guys have joined us. Why, why is this an important day? Why do we gather together? Why is this a sacred meeting place? Because those who... Rejoice in the risen Messiah should be gathering in the name of this risen King. That's why we sing, oh come let not me adore him, oh come let us, we need more of that. We need more of let us in this world, let us adore him. him. So today what we're going to do is jump into the Advent season, you, you see that there are decorations around. And for those who have decorated, you did an awesome job. Uh, thank you for that. So the Advent season is a time where we celebrate the coming Messiah. Advent means it is, it is here. So very simply, the Advent season it is, is us as Christians gathering together and saying, He is here, just as He promised, just as predicted, is here. Get excited, right? That, that's why we do what we do is finally here. So for the next month, that's what we're going to do every Sunday as we gather together. We gather together because he is finally here. The one who will redeem us and save us and forgive us. The one who, because of his death on the cross, he frees us from death. This Jesus, he is here. That's why we do what we do. So we're going to look this Christmas season at the merry and the brightness of the Advent. Today we're going to specifically look at um, three men. You, you know them as three men. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But um, the wise men, the magi. So join me in, in your word, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read together. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible if you have the, the Pew Bible, I don't have a page number for you. So if anyone is bold enough to shout out the correct page number. Can I get a witness? Eight fifty five, thank you. Eight fifty five. Eight fifty five. And again, if you don't have a Bible at home, this is our gift to you. We believe, boldly believe that the word of God will change your life. Take that with you, read it, let it get into your heart until the Word of God gets into you. So my sermon this morning is simply called, It's Worth the Journey. It's worth the journey. What would the wise men say to us if they were sitting here? They would say, it's worth 
the journey. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Let's read this word together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. And they said this, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word. Word that is living and active. Word that is sharp. Sharp enough to penetrate the very division of our souls and spirit. So Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit and change our lives this morning. Lord, may we not be the same. Because we have heard your word and we purpose to live it out. Lord, for those here that do not know you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would believe. They would follow you. That they would run to the cross. Lord, for those here that are struggling, we ask that you would be the comforter and the strength that they desperately need. For those that are here and desire an encouraging word, Lord, may they have exceeding joy. But Father, no matter where we are or who we are, may we not be the same because your word has changed and impacted our hearts and our minds. So Lord, tune our hearts to sing your praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, it is worth the journey. It is worth the journey. And as we read this, this word that, that these men come from a distant land from the east to Bethlehem and ultimately Jerusalem. We see this unique picture of what's going on in, in the ancient world during the time of Jesus Christ. Well, the Bible says that in the days of Herod, verse 1, wise men from the east arrived in 
Jerusalem. So let me give you a scholarly summary first. I've spent years studying this passage. I study it every Christmas, most likely. And, and I want to give you at least this conclusion. In my expert opinion, the wise men were not singing We Three Kings of Orient are. Bearing gifts, we travel so far. Filled a fountain, more and mountain, following yonder star. And even if they were, I, I can imagine that as they're singing that, one of them's about to fall off the camel. That's why they go, whoa, whoa. And then they get it back together and they go on the chorus. And if they were singing, it would have been in Aramaic or Arabic or some Persian dialect. So I don't know what they're singing. And truly, I, I think that Scholars don't give us much more insight than that because we, ha we have little information biblically. That the Bible very clearly says in verse 1 that these are what type of men? They are wise men. They are magi. And no offense to Anne Murray, the writer of We Three Kings. We don't know how many there were. We know there's more than one because it's plural. The biblical evidence is very scant. But most likely, these men came from Persia or Iranian descent. Now that's interesting, I think, in modern context, that God showed his glory and shined a light in Iran of the gospel and called them forth to see this child, probably from the, the lineage of Zoroastrian astrology. So astronomers study the planets and the stars and astrologers study the movement of the planet and the stars. And so these men were part of that group. Made Persian descent. They looked at the stars and they most likely were of some type of priestly caste. Some, although we don't know, some would even trace the wise men to the times of Daniel, which would make sense that Daniel would have passed down the wisdom of the Bible to this school. And they were looking for the Messiah. They were wise men looking for the promised man. And they brought diplomatic gifts of significance to this newborn king. Now, Matthew tells us that all of this, this traveling caravan and this, um, this Christmas music being sung and the gifts and the camels, all of this is happening in two unique locations. In Judah, the first he mentions is the place of Jesus Christ. It's the birthplace. It's a place called Bethlehem. It means the house of Bread, And that's interesting for many reasons. One of the great I am statements of Jesus Christ. Jesus would say later on in his life, I am the bread of life. The one who is born in the house of bread. Bethlehem, during the time of Jesus Christ, had little significance in the ancient world. A village of around 500 people, give or take, on a good day. It was the, the gravesite of Rachel which had significance. It was, it was the beginning setting of the book of Ruth. Now, you remember in Ruth, there's a famine in the land, so they had to leave Bethlehem. You catch the iron? There's a famine in the house of bread, and so they leave. And then a, another young man, a young shepherd boy, is birthed and grew up and was raised in Bethlehem, a man you might have heard of named David. 
one of the greatest kings that Israel would ever know. And so it's in Bethlehem, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that everything was taking place. If you know nothing about Bethlehem, remember this. Everyone knows that kings aren't born and raised in Bethlehem. It's insignificant. That's the sticks. That's where the sheep are raised. But Jesus is born in Bethlehem, a place where no self-respecting king would be born. Now Matthew gives us another city. Not only is Jesus born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, right? Kings aren't born in Bethlehem. King Herod, though, is raised, lives in a place called Jerusalem, about five miles to the north, give or take. Everyone knows that kings live in Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem at this time boasted a population of around 600,000. It was the large urban center of the ancient world at this time. This was the location of the temple, the grand second temple, built up at this time, building up by Herod, the second temple. The temple was the place where the ark was housed. The temple was the place where the presence of God dwelled. The temple was the place where you would journey and pilgrimage to sacrifice. The temple was the cultic center of Israel. And not only that, it was the political center. It was the place where the Sadducees and the scribes and the Pharisees, the chief priests, those that were collected by Herod, that's where they lived. Bethlehem raised the sheep. Jerusalem sacrificed the sheep. Because Jerusalem was important. Everyone knows that kings live in Jerusalem. This was the place where Herod dwelt who built his fantastic fortress, who built up the temple, who built up the amphitheaters. This was the place where kings lived. Everyone knows that kings live in Jerusalem. And at this setting, Matthew now paints the picture. So knowing what you know about Bethlehem, rural, insignificant, knowing everything you know about Jerusalem, The palace of the kings. This is what Matthew writes to us. Verse 1, chapter 2. After Jesus was born in the place where kings aren't born, of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in the place where kings live. Jerusalem. Saying, hey king, Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star rising and we have come to worship him. What is Matthew showing us in these scriptures? Matthew is showing us that everyone's searching for something. Everyone's searching for a king. Now you might say, well, this is is 2019. This is not... 4 BC. And before you argue with me when Jesus was born, Herod, King Herod dies in 4 BC. So Jesus is born before 4 BC. But everyone knows that kings are born in Jerusalem, but, but we don't have kings anymore. I would argue with you that you are searching for a king in your life. So what's going on to this? What is the reality that we are seeking? Herod lived in Jerusalem. Why? 
Simple. Kings live in Jerusalem. If you were of any prestige, you lived where? You lived in the right neighborhood. You lived in the right zip code. You sent your schools to the right school districts. You wanted to sit in the right place. And Herod thought, if I just lived in Jerusalem and built these temples, built these houses, then I would be accepted. We don't do that anymore, do we? If I could just live in this neighborhood, I would finally make it. If I could just drive this car, if I could build my kingdom in a way that people would say, look at me, then I would arrive. But Herod had a problem. He was an Edomite, a half-breed. He would never be accepted by the Jews as the legitimate king. Let me just share with you right now. I don't know what you're seeking or what you're striving for. But if you think people are going to accept you by your bank account or your house or your cars, you will always leave unfulfilled. Because it's never enough. Listen to Herod. You can't live in the right city and have people embrace you and find fulfillment. Only King Jesus can do that. Only Christ can bring the fulfillment that we need. Herod would never be accepted. And we see something else going on about the search When Herod hears these wise men coming to the place of kings and they ask in the place of kings, the one who calls himself the king, they ask him this interesting question. They ask in the place of kings to the sitting king, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And at that moment, Herod is deeply disturbed. And it says that all of Jerusalem is disturbed with him and we're going to get to that. But he calls together a group of people. He calls together in verse 4, the chief priests and the scribes. Now, these were people who tolerated Herod. One, because Herod put them in a place of position. Two, because Herod was building the second temple complex, a temple that rivaled, if not exceeded, the grandeur of Solomon's temple. You see, for the priests and the scribes, Herod was useful. So they tolerated him. They were searching for identity. They were searching for power. They were searching for political gain. And because they were searching for a king, they tolerated someone that was useful, but someone they knew that was rotten to the core. We still do that, don't we? And as I was praying through the scripture this week, the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart and and Really pull back the layers I didn't want to be pulled back. You know, has, does God ever do that in your life? That you're praying and you're saying, God, just open my life and examine me. And God says, okay. And we say, no, no, I take it back. And I begin to think and ask, God, what am I tolerating in my life because it's useful? Lord, it shouldn't be there. It has no legitimate claim upon the throne of my life, but it's there because it's useful. What relationships do you have in your life that they're there and you you won't stop the relationship because it's useful? Because man, when I walk through the halls of that girl, people look at me and say, "Woo, well done. Or when I walk with the, the quarterback, it's like, man, if I could just be that person. 
Or what am I looking at and filling my mind with? Because in that moment, it's, it's useful. But we know God doesn't want it there. You see, that was Herod for the scribes and the Pharisees. So what today in your life is useful for you, but God says it doesn't belong there? It's not the rightful king. And you know what the wise men would say to that? To say to our sin? It just takes one person to come and say, Hey, Josh, just a question. I know we're in the palace. I know we're in I know we're in the place of the kings, and I know you call yourself the king. But one question. Where is he who was born king? The Jews. And maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you right now, Josh, that doesn't have any place in your life. So why don't you let Jesus reign like you say you do? Set aside the sin. Set aside the thing that so easily entangles. Set aside those that are pragmatic in our lives, but they are causing destruction. May we not have anything to do with that. What am I tolerating that is not good, but it is useful? You know, everyone knows that kings live in Jerusalem. And asking this simple question, the wise men exposed the heart of Herod. Expose the heart. How do we know this? Look at verse 3. As soon as they asked the question, when Herod heard this, he was, man, he was ready. Yes, he's here. Like the, the Jesus, like, way. No, Herod was deeply disturbed. Why was he deeply disturbed? Because he was not a true disciple and follower of the one true God. You see, Herod sat on the throne. Herod sat on the throne in the city where the kings sit on the throne. Herod didn't want anyone to be king of his life because he was there. And he went to a rage. The Bible actually says he's disturbed, which I think is a a, a weak translation here. The CSB says deeply disturbed. Uh, The greater word would be terrified. Herod was terrified because of this king. See, I believe there's something deeply terrifying about Christmas, if we're honest. Many times we we like the Christmas season because we like wreaths and lights. We we like the baby Jesus. He's cute. Mostly he's an Anglo, but that's a whole different discussion. We have this little Anglo, blue-eyed, blonde-haired baby Jesus with with, the the animals that we pick out. And we, we like this Jesus, because he's, he's cute around Christmas time. But when we know that this child is born king, I think there's something that is deeply disturbed in our souls. Because the Bible is very clear that we can't have two kings in our life. And so there's no room for this, this baby Jesus if, if Josh is still sitting on the throne. And I think if we're honest if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, our reaction should be verse 3, like Herod. Our reaction to the Christmas story should be, if we don't know Jesus, we should be deeply disturbed. Because if this is true, that means it's going to wreck my life. Think about Herod. If, If what the wise men are asking is true, what does that mean for his reign? It's illegitimate. What does Jesus Christ mean for my reign in the self, 
It means that my reign is illegitimate and one day I will be held accountable for my kingdom. Are you disturbed by Christ? Is Christmas joyfully terrifying to you? So that's a weird way to look at Christmas. It should radically change our lives. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this incarnation. C.S. Lewis says, Christianity is the story of how we of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign in sabotage. Like the rightful king has landed in disguise in a town where he should not have been born in by the world standards. But the Bible says he was going to be born in Bethlehem. The Bible says the true king would be born in Bethlehem. The world says true kings are born in Jerusalem. And God says, I have a new way. Jesus is king. And so who is king of your life today? Is it Herod or is it Jesus? Is it Josh or is it Jesus? Christmas should be joyfully terrifying for us. And whether they knew it or not, the wise men opened the can of worms. So now let's look at these wise men. What would they say to us? I think they would say that true wisdom is found at the feet of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what they find. And, and we see in verse 1 that they journeyed from the east. Really the word means they journeyed from the rising. The place where, where it rises up. Now, can you imagine that the journey would have been about three to six months. One way, give or take. Can you imagine the wise men going home and saying, Hey babe, um, I saw a star today. And then the wife said, "What?" Well, you're an astrologer. You're an astrologer. You see stars every day, but you don't. You don't. You don't get it. Like, this is the star we've been looking for. You know the one that that, that Daniel passed down. The, the one that like this is the star that's going to change our lives. And dear, I'm going to be gone for six months, maybe longer. You don't understand. I love you. But I'll see you later. But I just want you to know if this is the star. It's worth the journey. If, if what the Bible says is true about the Jesus at the end of the star, this is worth the journey. And they leave. Look at verse 1. Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. That's all we know about their journey. And throughout biblical narrative, this is, this is how the calling of God works in our lives. Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus says, Hey, Abraham, that should be Abe at that point. Hey, Abe, let's go. Leave your lands. And you're going to go to a place that I tell you. Just go. Here's a star. Here's the promise. Go. What does Jesus do when he calls the disciples? Simon, Andrew, Peter, drop your nets. Follow me. Over and over and over again, we see that the journey in Jesus Christ is worth it. And we see that we must follow him without qualification. What qualifications do we have here in, in verse 1? It doesn't say they got their houses in order. They, they made sure the pantry was full. They just journeyed from the east. Are you following Jesus Christ without qualification? Because if you're like me, we'll say, God, I will go wherever you want me to. But here's a, here's a list of places I would really like to go. God, I will do anything you want me to do. But this is not a really good time. 
Can you wait? Like the kids are young. We're busy. Um, I don't have enough finances right now. God, if you would just wait till my schedule is fixed, then I, then I will go. And God tells us that's not how it works. We don't follow God with qualification. We follow him without reservation. Like the journey is worth it. Go. If he calls you to the West, you say, well, I don't know where he's calling me, but I know he is. Go. And the greatest advice I could give you guys for our youth, go. So that's a simple, that's a simple advice. Yes, go. If God is calling you, go. Go by faith and it is worth it. And if you're, if you're past your prime, if you're not youth age and you feel like you're 180, but you're only 60, if God says go, 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 serve him without qualification. It is worth the journey. And we often hear slogans like, well, it's not, it's not the, the destination necessarily, but it's the journey. Well, I think here it was about the destination. Hey, where are the wise men going? They, they go to Jerusalem. Why are they going to Jerusalem? Very clearly set out in Scripture. They say in verse 2, we saw his star rising and we have come to, we've come to worship him. And, and you know, Herod gets it. Herod hears what they're saying because he, he parrots these words, does he not? He sends them out because he says in verse 8, when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And then again, in verse 11, when they entered the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they fell on their knees and they, they worshiped him. See, Jesus alone is worthy of our worship. And this word in Greek is the same word where we get our English prostrate. It's lying on your face before something. I don't think we get that sometimes in the Western world. We tell people, would you just come just as you are? And that's true. God will, God will meet you where you are and he'll redeem you where you are because it's by his grace. But we don't come into the presence of God with puffed out chest and haughty eyes. The only proper way, I think, to worship God is what we see in the wise men, that we worship in a prostrate position, face down, as if to say to Jesus, you are the only true king, and I am not. You see, when you bow down to someone, you're saying to them, you are worthy. And the wise men would say, he, only Jesus, Herod, only Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. Church, this should be our declaration. Do you truly believe that? When you came into worship today and gathered with the saints, did you come here just wanting to lay your life down and, and lay your face down right here, maybe even on the floor and say, God, I'm not worthy to be in here. You know what I've done, but Jesus, he is worthy. I think there are times in our life where this should be our response to the true king. That we lie on our face before God and we say, God, you alone will be given glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. He, he is worthy. 
apparently the star that led them to Jerusalem, when they talked to Herod, is now on the move. It's interesting because we don't have anywhere in Scripture that the star moves until this point. Look at what happens in verse 9. After hearing the king, and by the way, the king was a liar, right? Herod says, well, go find this, this Jesus, the one who calls himself the king. And by the way, in case you didn't know it, wise men, um, real kings live in Jerusalem, not in Bethlehem. But you go find this king. And when you find him, bring him back to me because I, Herod, the king of the Jews, want to worship him. Which was not true. He was not authentic. And they go and, and they find the star moving. And the CSB says, and now there it was. In verse 9, some of your translations say, behold. Behold, it's now on the move. And when they see it, listen to what happens. When the star began to rise, it led them to the, to the place where Jesus was. In verse 10, when they saw the star, something unique happens. When they see the star, they were, uh, the CSB says that they were overwhelmed with joy. Not a little joy. The Greek is actually mega. They had mega joy. Something is, is happening in in these, the hearts of these wise men. Like when they see Christ, joy fills their life. And that's, that's not uncommon. Like what do the angels say? We bring you mega joy, right? Big joy, not little joy, right? Baptist people, not little joy, not, not quiet joy. Like mega joy, I think that's how the angels are announcing this. And these wise men, something is welling up. And I believe for the Christian that joy should spring out of us. I think when we walk through the supermarket, even when we're struggling, that we're honest with that to the world. But but they look at us and they say, why is there mega joy in your heart? Because your world is just shattered. But something has happened. And we can say, yeah, his name is Jesus. And he is worthy of my joy. Listen to what Octavius Winslow says. And I think we've given you the quote because it's a lot. But it perfectly captures what's going on here. If you don't get excited about this, see me after church because you need Jesus. I'm serious. Listen to this. The child of God is from necessity a joyful man. His sins are forgiven. His soul is justified. His person is adopted. His trials are blessings. His conflicts are victories. His death is immortality. His future is a heaven of inconceivable, unthought of, untold, and endless blessedness. With such a God, such a Savior, and such a hope, is he not, ought he not to be a joyful man? Wow. I think that's what the wise men would say to us. He, Jesus, is worthy of our joy. Spring up in us, O oh Spirit, a well of joy. Does that mean your, your world is going to be perfect? By no means. But it does mean we have a Savior that transcends the brokenness of our world. We are to be joyful by necessity. And finding this King... 
They bow and worship him. And what we see in the wise men is that Jesus alone is worthy of our sacrifice. Jesus alone is worthy of our giving and our offerings. Look at what they give him when they, when they find him in verse 8 and following. They see in verse 11, they enter the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to their knees and they worshiped him on their face. And they opened their treasures and presented him. And you know the song, with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These three gifts were gifts that you would give royalty. They were saying, hey, we, we know we talked to the one who called himself the king. But man, we found the true king. He is worthy of our offerings. He is worthy of our giving. And something is unique, I believe, in the Christian life about giving. When we're commanded to give. And we understand that we're commanded to give by the Father. Because when you find Christ, you realize that everything that you are given is by God. So I don't give grudgingly saying, God, I can't believe you asked. I can't believe you make me give back to you. I give and say, God, you would give something to me? And I don't have much, but God, I'll, I'll give this back. Like, like, What would I give to God? You see, we should be sacrificial people. And to give an offering, to give a sacrifice, by necessity means we must let it go. We, we have to release our grip on it. And I believe that there are many people in the West, especially, who are, who are slaves who have made wealth their idol because they, re, they refuse to give abundantly and generously. The wise men demonstrate that we should give. David would say it like this. David in, in 2 Samuel 24, 24. By the way, David was born in Bethlehem. Oh, um, by the way, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. David would say this. No, I insist on buying it for a price. I would not offer to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 20 ounces of silver. David is saying, would I come to God and offer nothing to him? Sacrifice must be costly. And we see this in the life of the wise man. He alone is worthy of our sacrifices. If you are not generously and abundantly giving your time, your wealth to the Lord, you are missing the only one who is worthy to receive that. Oh, that we would see the joy of sacrifice. And then in verse 12, after all this is taking place, being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their own country by another route. The word being warned, you know, I always thought growing up that they're about to, they're saddling up their donkeys or their camels. And as they're, as they're going back to Jerusalem, like the Holy Spirit just says, no, hey, stop, go around. But the word really means to give an answer to. So it's as if they were asking God constantly, God, where do we go? And, and God said, no, go this way. You see, every major route to go back home to Persia would have gone through Jerusalem. And so most likely they went south and then they went to the Gaza region and then they would go north by less traveled routes. Now we don't know this for certain, but here's the most likely place that they would go back home. You can study this later. 
most likely the route home would have taken them through Nazareth, Capernaum, and Damascus. Where does Jesus Christ, where is he raised? Nazareth? Where does he spend most of his time in ministry? Capernaum, the home base of Jesus. And one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen is traveling the road to Damascus when the Lord reveals himself. Why do I tell you all that? Because Jesus Christ is worth your return. Why didn't they just stay in Jerusalem? Why didn't they stay in Bethlehem? Why didn't they stay in Nazareth? Because I believe that when Jesus comes into our life, the greatest offering we can give back to him is to share the news. We should be sharing people. That's what God wants us to do. Like, what do I have to offer God but to share the, his grandeur and his majesty back to others, to my family, to my neighbors, to go home? Can you imagine the debriefing? Like, I can just see them coming home and the wife's like, okay, you've been gone for a year. This better have been a really good star. Because you are in the doghouse for 10 years. Because I don't forget. Can you imagine what he would have said? They, the star that we were looking for, the Messiah, the one predicted, we found him. And you know, the, the goal that we saved for years and years and years, we were able to lay that in the place where kings aren't born, we found the true king. And, and I want to share the news that if you believe too, you can have abundant life. This is worth sharing. One commentator said this about the birth narrative. We'll close on this thought. Perhaps this is a dreary winter day for you. When you are not feeling all the Christmas feels. Maybe you are lonely and discouraged. Perhaps you've been rejected, but know this. If you are in Christ, God leveraged the entire universe to shout to you his message of love and he drew himself to you. You see, seeing the star was not enough. The star was God rearranging the universe for these men that they might see who? That they might see Jesus. And hearing and knowing the gospel is not good enough. God wants you to hear the gospel that you might believe and follow. What is the gospel? The, the good news is that Jesus was born. God himself was born in Bethlehem, a place where kings were not born, but he was the true king. And he lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross in Jerusalem, of all places. But he didn't stay dead because in three days he rose again. And you know why he did that? He did it for pagans living in Persia, that they might have life. And he did it for reprobate sinners in St. Clair County, that we might have abundant life. This is news we're sharing. 
And if you're here today and you've never followed the true king, just know that if you would turn from yourself, the Bible says it's repentance. Turn from yourself and turn to Jesus Christ and say, God, I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the answer. Today I will follow you. You can be saved. That's the promise and the hope of salvation. So I don't know how you need to respond to the good news. I can only imagine the journey home was double time. That they couldn't wait to get home and share with the world. We found the king. The one who will save the world. Maybe you need to come this morning and just lay your face down before God. Say, God, you are worthy and I am not. Maybe God has stirred your heart to give your life to ministry, to go as a missionary. Maybe you need to take the step of faith and obedience and baptism you never have. In two weeks, we're going to have a baptism service. And we want you to show the world that He is your King. Maybe you need to come and pray with someone or pray for someone. We're going to have counselors down front that would pray with you. And we're going to have one of our pastors that will wait for you in the lobby to pray. Uh, Pastor Brad is going to be out there and he would love to share. I don't know how you need to respond, but I know this king is worth it. It's worth the journey. Let's pray. Father.